0: Welcome to the Color and Photography Podcast. Today's guest is Miguel Gutierrez, Jr., a Mexican-American photo editor and photographer for the Texas Tribune based in Austin, Texas. Gutierrez, Jr. earned his master's in journalism from the University of Texas at Austin. He has worked as a video and multimedia producer at the Office of the New York Attorney General, a video production fellow at Brave New Films in Los Angeles, a multimedia journalist for KUTX News in Austin, His past clients include Hardpin Media, OZY, PBS, Romescula, Me Too, The New York Times, Time Magazine, Renaud Brothers, The Austin American Statesman, Public Radio International, National Public Radio, The Weather Channel, and the University of Texas at Austin. Please welcome Miguel Gutierrez Jr. Hi, Miguel. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing today?
1: Doing well, doing well. Uh, well, home from work a little while ago. so. Oh,
0: my gosh. Full day of work. Well, thanks mm-hmm. for coming on the podcast today. Um, could you introduce everyone to how you got into photography?
1: Yeah. So um, photography for me was actually kind of uh, a long process. When I was younger, I really, really enjoyed photo books and enjoyed um, going to photo exhibitions. But I never shot. I never, th- I guess I never thought that I could shoot or I just never really kind of played with it the way, um, engage with it the way that like I do now. It wasn't until like my late twenties when I started traveling to uh, Mexico on my own that I started really kind of, uh, getting the sense for the power of photography and for the importance of it. And it kind of felt something that I really wanted to do. Um, it was still very much a hobby. It's still very much something that I did, uh, on my off time during traveling, um, I was kind of present in the, in the moment, um, in Chicago when a lot of undocumented youth were coming out. Um, and so I have a lot of photos from that moment, from that time. Um, and that kind of just kind of spurred me more to think about kind of, uh, photography as, uh, you know, as a historical tool, as a documenting tool. And then when I moved to Texas, uh, for my master's degree, I started, um, initially thinking that I was going to go into academia. I was getting a master's in Latin American studies. I was working on a, on a project on, um, young deportees, actually, uh, the same individuals that had expressed, uh, you know, their undocumented status in, in the States, there was individuals who had been deported. So I went to, uh, El Salvador to research that and to talk to those individuals to kind of see what they were experiencing. And, um, I realized that, um, I wanted to write this thesis, but I also wanted to be able to do something uh, eventually that was more visual uh, and understanding that power. And so I I just decided to kind of jump into it and uh, got a master's in journalism as well and focused on really kind of learning my my camera a lot more and learning video editing skills because I was moving more towards like the documentary uh, photo journalistic aspect of it. So, so it was kind of a, 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 an awkward weird path but it just kind of seems to be my life which is okay because I think mm-hmm. that's the way just some things go for some people um so, so you know, so video
0: photography was like a parallel journey for you it wasn't something that you picked the video after years with photography
1: no 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 it was something that I picked up almost immediately uh because I I'd shot for a while um and the uh, photos and so I started really getting the hang of it and kind of what I learned more was kind of like their journalistic skills and then you know but the video is kind of what I really picked up more in grad school um and so they kind of really just I felt like kind of worked together that I, I think some people have a hard time thinking in video I've heard a lot of photographers say that they don't like to work in video because to them it's it's a different way of thinking and it's a you know it's a whole different mo and i i agree with that i think it is in some respects but in other respects i think it's actually very similar for me it for me it feels almost seamless to think yeah. uh from uh photos to video um yeah you have to think of of uh what's it called like um uh little vignettes and and, and like sequences but um I, I don't know i think that the, the the composition the framing the lighting all that's still there for me so i think that's a the big crucial component yeah. for me
0: yeah, I have a few uh, colleagues in journalism who have not transitioned, but they've added video to their mm-hmm. storytelling. And you can definitely tell the the aesthetics of documentary photography really accentuated their, their uh, storytelling because the visuals in the video is like you could stop, pause, and you could see the framing and the lighting, the attention to detail that you would normally see in a still image and um one of them he he's gone as far as winning an emmy so i didn't even realize as a journalist that you could win an emmy for video work which is kind oh, of wow. amazing yeah
1: no absolutely uh yeah that's great i mean that you can you can tell that in the in the work
0: yeah yeah um, do you like early on did you kind of also see photography and journalism as a form of activism like you were, like you could potentially bring attention to situations like the undocumented youth?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think journalism is very much a form of, it's a a, a civic de- a duty. It's like a civic, you know, project. I, um, and I think there's definitely some elements of activism in there. Um, I don't subscribe to the idea of this like new, view from nowhere kind of objectivity, this kind of, you know, I feel like it's kind of antiquated. I think we all come with subjectivities. We all come from angles. We all come from where we come from and we can't help that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we need to do is to have newsrooms that differ, that reflect those diverse voices. So then mm-hmm. it like, like a prism, you know, you have all these different wavelengths coming out and an output is, you know, something that's kind of maybe more towards objectivity, but not uh, without denying kind of like where you come from it doesn't mean that you know you shouldn't be fair in your reporting or you shouldn't like be aware of maybe you know if you're leaning a little bit to one end um i think it's good to be aware of those things and to kind of give people a fair shot to kind of explain themselves and to 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 tell their stories but yeah. you know being a being the son of of immigrants uh working class immigrants who work in factories i mean yeah you know i i approach those topics differently you know, I think about who's who's getting the upper hand here, um, who's profiting off of who, you know, who's being, uh, you know, subjected to certain situations and who's not. So I think, yeah. you know, to, to 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 think that we can remove ourselves from that or that that those things don't influence us, you know, or, or, or someone who has a, you know, who grew up really WASPy with a lot of money, you mm-hmm. know, uh, upper class. It's like how do you? To think that doesn't influence the way you approach a, a subject or the way you write something um, is ridiculous, I think.
0: Yeah, and also like to to go back to what you were saying about diverse newsrooms, like it's it's important at every company, and it's unfortunate that it's barely becoming a, a relevant topic of discussion that where people are open about expressing their interest in having diverse work work areas. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's so important to have that diverse perspective because you could be doing something that could be insulting to someone's culture without realizing it because you're not part of that culture. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Or or
1: you're missing out on gaps. You know, I feel like you're missing out on things that you, it might not be an issue for you. And it's like, well, why don't they just paint their house or why don't they just, you know, send their kids to college? And it's like, because you've never really had to think about those things. Mm -hmm. So you just, don't understand what it's like to not have that safety or or not have something that you know someone experiences and I think no matter how woke someone is or how aware someone is there's always going to be those blind spots because we just we inhabit a certain experience a certain body a certain Mm -hmm. intersectionality you know that we just we can't possibly know everything uh, and so that but that doesn't mean we shouldn't walk with you know humility or, or trying to learn it just means that we should be aware
0: of that i guess mm-hmm. so i kind of wanted to jump into your work with the project in piedras piedras negras on the migrate caravan yeah. when the story mm-hmm. started hitting the news channels uh what was going through your mind being that you're near the border did you want to drive down there right away or were you already onto the story before it hit the major news stations
1: we had seen that it was happening. There was a migrant caravan appro- approaching Piedras Negras. And when it would think it was like the second day uh, uh, a few days, maybe into it that we were like, this is something we need to be watching. This is, this is something that we need to, to be, you know, uh, covering because it's right on our border. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. It's in Mexico, but Texas shares the longest section of the Mexican border. Uh, with Mexico, so I, I immediately jumped to it. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, we had a, we we had a hard time the first day finding a reporter that was able to go. Um, and I was already on the road. I was already about two hours into uh into the drive. It's like a four hour drive, three and a half hour drive. Mm-hmm. Um, because I jumped on it pretty quick because I I kind of felt that this was something that we really really needed to be there. We really needed to to kind of see what was going on, to see what conditions people were being held in, to to interview uh, migrants to talk to authorities if, if possible. Um, and so it was just kind of something that I threw myself into. I drove to the border, you know, got across and started speaking to some of the locals and some of, some of the reporters that were on the border being like, Hey, have you heard of this detention center? Cause it wasn't really a detention center. It ended up being like an old warehouse, um, that used to be like a maquila or like a, like an old, yeah, old warehouse. And, and they, they had, they just kind of made this makeshift, made this makeshift camp there uh, where they mm-hmm. were holding people. Jeez. Um, but people, people directed me. I we actually ran into this photographer and he was like, yeah, man, I, you know, I'll take you, let's go. He, he was shooting for the, uh, uh, the French press AFP. Uh, so oh, it's wow. yeah, yeah.
0: International was news was there already.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, 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 we made it there and, uh, yeah, just started shooting and talking to people. So it had been a few days, but it, it, I think some of those things, we're a small newsroom and, uh, you know, we really care about a lot about our work, but we, we kind of try to be really kind of like, hey, it, do we have the resources for this? Uh, you know, uh, uh, is this within our bandwidth? Because our, our... we focus a lot on politics mm-hmm. in the state, but, you know, that's kind of politics intersects a lot of things. So I think we're we're really aware of that. You know, a natural disaster, it's like, you might think it's like, you know, Metro news, but, you know, it can be very political in like, yeah. you know, what policies kind of, you know, urban planning, you know, so I think we try to think about that. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the, my editors were like, you know, yeah, you know, fellow editors were like, if if you need to go, you should go, you know, if we think you need to be there. So I took that initiative and went.
0: So when you're covering a story, do you have control over the perspective? Or are there editors asking for a different look on the situation through the writer's point of view? Or are you like, do you have free range free reign to like do your thing and then connect with the writers afterwards or what?
1: I have, I'm the editor, so I have free reign to an extent, but uh, we do, I work a lot with the other editors or the reporters to kind of see where they're going with the story because you, I mean, you want it to make sense. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, If they're reporting on something and you need portraits of certain, you know, certain people or, or you know shots of certain things you need you need to get that uh, otherwise the story just feels disjointed it feels like you know the photographer was shooting an entirely different thing and the reporter was reporting on something else so there is collaboration there is communication about that um, I, what I do have control over is kind of like what images we want to run what kind of you know uh, um, you know do, do we want to show somebody's face do we not uh, we we have those we have those conversations um, ultimately it's up to the editor in chief and to, you know, some of the other people that we work, you know, they have, you know, a bigger uh, control over that. But I'm, I'm given that that freedom to, to do that, unless it comes to something that's really, really important to, to kind of make those choices.
0: Mm-hmm. So on the other side of the border, where the United States is housing immigrants, from my perspective, I see it as modern day internment camps, as someone who's, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you've also been there too. What are you seeing? Like,
1: in, oh. are you talking about um, detention centers in Mexico or in the us us in the us yeah. um, I think some of the conditions are absolutely uh, akin to detention centers uh, or to uh, um, concentration camps. There's a, a some of them are absolutely horrible the, the 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 conditions we were talking to people where they were saying that you know they were overcrowded in cells, that they were they weren't allowed to sleep and this is stuff that was corroborated by uh, Inspector general. Other uh, uh, um, media outlets. I mean, people were 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 sick. They were barely given any food at times. um, Only given uh, these like uh, the silver blankets that -hmm. are basically kind of like this mylar.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Sleeping on floors, overcrowded. So yeah. So these conditions were definitely, definitely uh, something akin to you know an internment because uh, it's it's not. I mean, it's not. it's, It's not. It's not a humane way to treat people to to um to house people you know to to detain people so mm-hmm. yeah I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that i think their approach was um yeah i think it was very mishandled absolutely uh, whether it was intentional or not that's a different conversation yeah um but th- p- people definitely suffered in there um what? and i mean and, and there's been, there's been deaths so
0: you yeah yeah what what is the response from the readership when you publish stories like these
1: um I mean it's it depends it depends I mean some people you know are spur you know they're, they're spurred to action we had an instance in uh El Paso where uh they needed uh um they needed diapers they needed food they needed toys for some of the children and some some people went and they would tried to uh deliver toys and, and a bunch of things to a, to a CVP office and they were um, rejected. And some people just dig in their feet. You know, some people just get them out of here, lock them up, Jeez. you know, the usual rhetoric about migrants. So it, I think it just depends. And Texas is, you know, still very conservative. And so you, you, you will see some of that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, on that topic, but- I've been hearing, Things in the news that Texas is becoming a purple state. So, have you felt that change, in, or seen the state lean more blue?
1: Uh, we've seen it in some of the elections, yeah. And uh, the fact that I think the, the the Democratic Party is starting to maybe in some of the races where they wouldn't have um, where they wouldn't have challenged incumbents or they wouldn't have challenged certain uh, certain seats, they're they're starting to do that. So I think they're 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 definitely feeling that sense. I think the the close uh, election between Beito and Ted Cruz, mm-hmm. I think, really kind of woke uh, people up in the state. To I mean, I think some people knew it, but the ones who maybe who didn't, that you know, that there's a possibility for them to to kind of gain some ground. So so I, I yeah I think there's a lot of. It's a very interesting time to be in Texas, I think, as a, as a as a as a journalist, as a visual journalist, because there's just so much going on. Texas yeah. is a very interesting state to me.
0: Yeah, I lived in San Antonio and Fort Worth, and I, I really loved San Antonio. Like it's like
1: oh yeah, San Antonio is great.
0: If I could retire there, I, I always tell people that I'm going to retire there one day because it's like country and city and art world, and it's like
1: San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, you better buy a house quick because it's. Uh, <laughs> Really, <laughs> this whole er- this whole area is just becoming. Oh yeah, I mean mm-hmm. Austin, the growth. They're saying that the Austin San Antonio sector is going to become kind of like what Fort Worth, uh, Dallas is. So, oh man, yeah, there's a lot of density, a lot of growth happening yeah. in the state.
0: What do you uh, What do you think 2020 is going to bring politically for your state? Do You have any? Perspective um,
1: I'm not really sure. I mean, I think it's going to be a tough I think it's going to be a tough race. I think Texas is going to be an important state. We are, we're already seeing that. I mean, a lot of presidential candidates have been to to Texas recently. We've had a lot we've had a good amount of forums in Houston and mm-hmm. Dallas. Elizabeth Warren was just in um in Austin. Uh Julián Castro uh, yeah, Julián Castro's been here a couple times already. Uh Cory Booker was here. So I think, I think the state is, I think is going to be a contentious state. I think maybe a little more so than, than maybe it, it has been. Um, so yeah. So I think, I think it's going to be an interesting time. It's going to be an, interest, an interesting time to be at the Texas Tribune and covering politics because of it.
0: From your experience with video, do you see it as a necessary tool for working in newspapers?
1: Um, I think it depends. I think it depends on what, uh, I I do think newspapers and and media outlets should have video. I think absolutely they do. But as an individual, I think it just depends if that's a skill set the person, a person will feel that they they need. Um, For me, I think it's important. Um, I don't, I think photo, to just have a photo skill, I think I would just, I would be doing myself a disservice Um, because there's times when I've been uh, on the border with, uh, with our reporters, particularly Jay Root mostly recently um, where we need video or we have this idea like, Hey, this would make a great video and just having that skill and being able to do that, being able to produce that uh, has been really, really helpful. Otherwise we'd have to outsource it. You'd have to hire someone. Um, We would have to wait, you know, maybe even if you shot the footage, you'd have to get it back to Austin and have the multimedia team produce it. And then that could take a, you know, a day or two. Um, But we would be on the border, and, it, and it'd be like, you know, shooting some pictures and it'd be like, hey, you think we can make a video out of this? It's like, yeah, let's do it. Switch gears and all of a sudden, you know, we're shooting, we're shooting a video and later that night we're producing it and we have something, you know, by, by the next day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really helpful for, for me, for my reporting um, and for, for our reporting, I think as a, as a digital outlet. Um, so, yeah, I think it just depends on, on, on an individual but I I've I some people that have been talking about getting into video for years. Like, oh, I should really learn video, and it's like, yeah, it's been about five years, you know. Like, you know, you, I, I, for me, I, I think it's it's good to kind of stay up with those things and kind of because the industry changes fast. Yeah. And with all the with all the job cuts and the and the way you know the uh, journalism uh, with the contraction of it as an industry, I mm-hmm. think the more appealing you can make yourself, the better. Yeah. Do you? For what it's worth.
0: Do you think an amalgamation of video and print is the future of journalism?
1: Um, like online? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Either way, I mean, I mean, there are publications that are now going completely online.
1: Right. No, absolutely. I mean, we're completely online. We we have no. There's no. There's no Texas Tribune newspaper. Oh, wow. All, 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 our stuff is all online. It's only digital. Wow. Um. So, so yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, copy photos and video all all online. I mean, could there be a movement to, to save newspapers? I mean, yeah, possibly it could become very, very niche. It could, you know, I mean, it it could swing the other way. And before you know it, we were printing newspapers again. I mean, I I don't know. Um, But I do think if you're going to think digitally, you you definitely need video and you're you're, always going to have copy. I think people always are going to have to read it's like you know the best way to digest one of the best ways to digest a lot of information
0: Uh so as an online only publication how do you know if you're reaching your readers are you just looking at analytics metrics yeah or
1: really yeah all the all the analytic um analytics stuff we have um a like audience team which that's 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 their job they they do all their alchemy, whatever it is (laughs) to see how many hits, how many views, um, uh, what what engagement is like, who's sharing on Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook, you know, our website, uh, everything like that. So yeah, we we have teams that measure all of that to a team that uh, measures all of that to kind of see, to gauge where, where we're going and, you know, yeah. So and we we have meeting you know we have regularly every week we'll have a meeting where we kind of talk about you know what's what was the breakout story you know what story did really well you know how could we have optimized you know this SEO headline mm-hmm. or you know whatever you know um, yeah so we we kind of really look and in, look into that all the time to kind of see what um, what what's working um, the text and the, the Texas Tribune. I feel fortunate, very fortunate to be at this place because it's I think it's a it's definitely a new model in a world of journalism. Right now, that's kind of very unstable and a a model that works, uh, that at least is working now. Um, Our newsroom is growing. Uh, We've hired more people. We have a lot of fellows. And um, we're not kind of experiencing a lot of the downsizing that some of the local newspapers in the region are. So we're, we feel very fortunate for that. Um, and I think it has to do a lot with kind of diving into this
0: um, so when you, digital model. So when you look at the demographics and you notice like, hey, there's an entire section of like a community that is not even connecting with you. Do you then make strides to do more stories based on that area, do outreach to get them to make them aware of your presence
1: yeah we're absolutely um that's one of the big things that we're i guess one of the uh, the projects that we're trying to develop that's not you know a news story um we're definitely looking to engage the, the the latino population in texas a lot more um either by providing spanish content or english content that's kind of related to you know something that a uh Latino Latinx uh, readership would would engage with. Mm-hmm. So, it is something that we think about um you know how to en- engage, you know, more black readers. Um yeah you know, it, it just kind of to be more diverse. So, it's not and 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 people, I think in uh, the public in general because I think when the tribune started it was very much kind of very policy oriented and kind of almost like you had to be a, a, a like a like a political junkie in a way, you know, mm-hmm. you had to really kind of know the ins and outs because it was very much focused on that, but they've done a really good job of broadening, you know, the reporting to kind of reflect, okay, so we have this policy, what does it do? Who does it affect, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can we explain that to readers in a way that's accessible? So we do a lot of, the, we do things like our like um, text explainers and things that are kind of ways to present, our journalism to people in a way that's, you know, smart, but accessible, you know? Mm -hmm. So there is, there is definitely a push to kind of to grow that because we understand that that's a important uh, part of, of being a a journalistic, a journalistic organization. Are
0: you already reaching out to generation Z? Uh,
1: That I'm not sure. Yeah. I think that would have to answer the, the audience team, but I feel like the way, being on social media and like the way we create stories and the way we try to think of, you know, Instagram and, and Twitter, and that's where a lot of millennials and generation Z are. Yeah. I think inherently we are because we're digital. Um, you know, we think digital first and, you know, our, our, our reporters and our news team uh, range in ages. So yeah. we, we I think we're always thinking of that. Um, the organization has been around for 10 years this is actually the tenth year anniversary. It will be in November. Hmm. Um, so from the beginning, I think they've been thinking of how to, how to engage, you know, just a, a digitally savvy audience and some some of the some of that aren't you know, but I just are are online.
0: Yeah. Uh, have you you've heard of TikTok, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Are you guys on
0: TikTok? Like, are organizations allowed to be on TikTok?
1: I, I'm sure they are. I mean, people. I mean, news organizations were on Snapchat and are on Snapchat. So I imagine they are, I, I don't know if that's something that would be something that in, like our audience team would
0: mm.
1: deem if it's worth us investing or not. That's not yeah. something my, you know, I would shoot the video or maybe the photos, you know, but I think it's, it's all video. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what, mm. I don't know how that would add to our reporting. That would be something that they would have to engage with and not me. That's yeah. Yeah. That's a. One
0: last question mm-hmm. uh who on Instagram are you currently following whose work you're excited about
1: who on Instagram am I currently following that I'm who that's uh I tend to I think I tend to follow hashtags more than I do um a particular photographer right now I mean my influence in photographers are kind of broad uh, but it's not like anyone in particular right now that I can think of um, Enrique. Mete-
0: well, what hashtags do you follow?
1: Usually it's like, I, I really like, so I think my photography and what I like for work are kind of different. I, I feel like I tend to, mm. to gravitate to uh, hashtags that are about like, kind of like ambient light, like the outdoors, mm. like uh, color, uh, sometimes textures. I really like textures. Like there's this picture of these dunes. And like, ha- like, you know, one side's lit and the other side's not. Um, maybe I think, and, and it happens, I think it's happened recently. And I think maybe it has to do because I shoot a lot of socially oriented photojournalistic, like documentary style work that I don't necessarily always want to engage with it. You know, I feel like yeah, I want to look I at need a, a break. Yeah. I want to look at a landscape. I want to look at some really pretty colors. I want to look at things that are, yeah. that are maybe a little more abstract. So, if that like makes your sense. visual parsley. Yeah, yeah. I guess indeed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um but yeah. I think in photographers in general, it's just it's individuals like uh Tina Modotti who was, you know, a Mexican American. I think she's actually of Italian descent but lived in Mexico. Uh she's actually not American, she's Mexican. Uh moved to Mexico. Uh, photographer Juan Rulfo uh Gordon Parks who's just Amazing. Mm -hmm. Alessandra Sanguineri, uh, I believe she's uh, American, but, like, from Argentine Argentine descent. Um, And then uh, Enrique Matinides, who used to be, like, this, like, Nota Roja photographer in Mexico who just shot, like, all these, like, um, kind of gruesome but beautiful shots. Kind of of like kind of like Ouija in the United States, I guess. But
0: Oh, is that him? wait? Is he still alive?
1: Enrique Martinez, he okay. might be. Yeah, I, I mean, he was. Born, I know, he was born yeah, in like. Is
0: he like Nacho Lopez? I don't see. What they, am I thinking about the same guy? I don't know. There's Nacho, Nacho Lopez. L- is it? Nacho Lopez. Uh, yeah, there was one guy. I don't know if he's the same one that I'm thinking about. He might be the one. That might be the one that I was thinking about.
1: Oh, I don't know Nacho like Lopez. This is great.
0: Yeah, Yeah, because I've been doing a bit of research on Mm -hmm. uh, photographers of color. Yeah. And there was one guy, and he sounds like the one that you're describing, like Ouija. Yeah, Metadines. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Metadines.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, this stuff is crazy.
1: Oh, I love it. It's so gruesome, but I love the photo of the woman. I think she was an actress who got hit by a car on the intersection i don't uh-huh. know if you know that one and she's Adela, like yeah
0: and she's Who like does. tangled
1: in that pole in the street pole yeah but it, yeah. and the guy's about to place a, I i think it's like a jacket or a cloth over her
0: yeah and
1: she just looks like she's dreaming i mean it's just so surreal and you wouldn't really know she's well, the... dead and, except for the mangled yeah. you know
0: well, the backstory with that photo is she had just come from getting her hair and nails done. Oh so right, she looks like extra special, and it's like you could see her nails hanging over the pole, and like her hair is all beautiful.
1: Yeah, no, and, abso- uh, yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah, yeah. That's like part of like that's part of my podcast is like the historical photographers that uh-huh. nobody knows about, and um, yeah, I'm definitely gonna profile him.
1: You should check he's out like
0: one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, no, he's yeah, he's great. I, yeah, Matinez is great. You should also check out Juan Rulfo. He wrote. He was a. He's better known as a writer. He wrote uh, "El Llano um, which is I think the burning plain, the burning plains in Spanish. Um, and then he wrote mm-hmm. uh, "Pedro Paramo," uh, but he was also a photographer. And he, I love his photography because he, he just he takes these beautiful, beautiful pictures of the countryside, the Mexican countryside, and of uh, people that were living there in a way that are just very like just very beautiful like not mm-hmm. they're not exploitative there's nothing like oh look at this poverty look at this mass look at this you know whatever they're just very much yeah. like it's like look at this period in time and then he also shot a lot of movie sets um which were really cool because a lot of the the outfits during that time in the cinema were kind of very like um not nationalistic in the sense of like, cu- like culturally i guess is like culturally yeah. nationalistic like a lot of like kind of Mexican identity, I guess. Um, Like agaves and like sombreros and just like, you know, women in like really kind of pretty white dresses, floral, like Mm -hmm. this kind of very much period in time that he was shooting it. Um, I just ordered his book and that's kind of what I've been nerding out on on mostly. Instagram sometimes just feels like so much noise to me that it's kind of so hard to just kind of, engage with it like thoughtfully. So I I, I tend to kind of buy photo books and follow photographers more like kind of (laughs) like that than sometimes Instagram because it's all just so curated sometimes. It just makes my head hurt.
0: Yeah, Instagram is uncurated. When I want to see somebody's thought-provoking work, I'll go to the website because I know that they spent time on that edit. Whereas Instagram Mm -hmm. is more like they're just working out that idea and yeah. they are just to see if what, you know, they want to see what the world thinks of it before they do something with it.
1: Mm, that's a good approach.
0: Yeah. Um, so where can our listeners find you online, your website, Instagram, yeah. Twitter?
1: Um, I'm online. on my, my. I have a website. It's a uh, www.mgutierrezjr.com. And then my Instagram handle is at uh, M. G U T J R, so it's like the fir- my first initial, the first three letters of my last name, and Jr. Um, yeah, and that's, I, I mean, for as much as I, you know, love and hate Instagram, I'm on it. Um, so I do update it frequently. I have, you know, I post things from trips and from any kind of reporting that I do. So um, it's kind Ooh. of my main vehicle. I'm on Twitter, but I don't, I don't really tweet. It's not my, it's not my <laughs> yeah. thing. I feel like. I have enough with one social media account.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure what you do tweet for work, right?
1: Yeah, for the most part, it's related to work or something, and Instagram tends to be my little more personal hideout. Um, I've thought about making it private just to kind of keep out prying eyes, because sometimes I have opinions where maybe I shouldn't have too many opinions. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) or personal things.
0: Freedom freedom of speech is there for a reason. No,
1: for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um. But it's it's mostly it's it's where I where I engage the most with with you know. With my work and putting it mm-hmm. out there and kind of having people see it and looking at other people's work.
0: Do you um, with your personal work, do you ever think about pushing that to like a professional level, like doing exhibitions or or anything like that?
1: Um. I guess I have. It's not something I've had thought about too much i guess i've mostly thought about producing Mm -hmm. and kind of making more work and how can i make more work and right now i'm i'm i feel like my work is a lot of like traveling or kind of day-to-day or the work that i do as a as a photojournalist but i'm i'm starting to think of projects that i want to do and some of them involve me being in mexico or latin america um i love being down there i love shooting it and i feel like there's things that um, kind of are disappearing that I need to document, and so those are mm-hmm. those, those those are like kind of the things that I'm thinking about right now. And I think if if I created something like that, I think maybe I would push more to have that in an exhibition. Um, mm-hmm. And not to say that I don't give my my all to to the you know what I shoot for work, but I guess I guess maybe right now I'm thinking of I'm thinking of it as kind of more as like a uh, my duty is kind of something that I do. And not like in a chore, absolutely not, because yeah. I love it. But it's just something where I'm like, I'm documenting this. I'm documenting this. I'm here. I'm at mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm at like the at the forefront of documenting history. You know, like there's like that same, yeah. like some, something kind of like journalists get like the front seat to, to history being made, you know, and that's kind of, I guess, how mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it. So I'm not really thinking of it in like this retrospective, like kind of, you know, body of work that I need to exhibit, at least not yet um but I think if I went into a project I would go into it with that mentality and so I am thinking of things like that that I you know want to shoot
0: you know what might be fun for you I've done it a a couple of times and I do yearbooks so like Mm -hmm. every four years I'll print just a single blurb book for myself and I'll take all the photos that I probably wasn't paying much attention to but I want to see it on a page and I just get like a little linen book and it's like a couple hundred pages of just pictures and maybe I'll put captions but um and then I just have them up on my shelf and I flip through them every now and then but I I wanted uh, for me photography is very like I get very attached to it like not like they're my children but like I just they deserve something more than to be ones and zeros.
1: Instagram and, no absolutely yeah. I yeah
0: yeah so and yeah. Like, I've done a fair amount of analog photography and digital mm. so I try to put them both together so that they all have like their moment and then like right now I've been I've been going home which is uh in northern California a fair amount and oh, photographing like the green hills and Especially after it rains and so I'm thinking about something like that for like maybe I'll actually do a book with a theme, but um practicing with like small little books is or even zines is uh has been really fun to like see photos in print because they've I've always actually... just either lived in newspapers or um because I used to work in newspapers but they've only oh, cool. ever lived on my computer.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. There was a period where I got really kind of down um, on photography and just kind of thinking that everything I shot was just like this little square or this little kind of four by five, whatever, like you Mm -hmm. said, one in zero on, on, on Instagram, on the internet. And I kind of, you know, want that, that tangible product, that thing that, you know, you engage with. Um, Mm -hmm. I have shot, film and I, I actually i bought a really cheap um mamiya r67 i believe it is yeah it's That's the mamiya cool. r67 uh, i got it for a 100 bucks at a swap oh. meet and, and it
0: works it's, it works oh, it, it,
1: it works beautifully what happened is that it needed every single light um what's it called the little uh um the the, the, the little uh to Prevent light leaks. What do they call it? I can't even oh, think of the seal. word. It needs
0: a seal. Yeah. The seal? little light
1: seals. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. needed every, every single little light seal needed to be replaced, but I just ordered it from oh, um, eBay <laughs> and I, you know, just went through it meticulously, watched some YouTube videos
0: Yeah,
1: uh, and did it and shot my first roll on it. And it was like, Whoa, no light leaks. And the shutters are, you know, works great. Like it's, it's fast wow. and, you know, it, the speeds are, you know, on um mm-hmm. and yeah so i've been shooting on that and i've developed some roles and it's been really nice to kind of to have that you know because like you yeah. see yeah, like you said you just but in, in a zine would I, I i've actually thought about zines i just i guess with work sometimes you just get caught up yeah. you know traveling i bet there's a everything.
0: copy machine though in your office right
1: <laughs> it's true yeah no it's true and so it's not a bad idea it's great
0: yeah I think there's even templates for InDesign to do zines. You just like, cause you have to think like the first page is the last page on the other side. So you have to think like a layout before you, while yeah. you're laying out because it's not side by side.
1: Wow. Cool. Yeah. No, it'd be something to, to try to do.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks Miguel for coming on color and photography. I hope you had fun and that the listeners were inspired by your perspective and work.
1: All right. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Color and Photography. Follow us on Instagram at Color and Photography to see some of the images we refer to in this podcast. And of course, subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes and interviews on the diversity and uniqueness of photography from the past and the present. This podcast was produced and edited by Amy Santos with music by Stefan Bode.